Hello. And welcome to Game Boys 2023. My name is Matt. And I'm Wes. And welcome to our three third anniversary of doing this gay bi-weekly podcast where we translate nerd culture and let's be honest we always have fun year three no that can't be right yeah this is three years we've been doing this episode 78 yes okay yeah we're going into the we're going into the third year yes sorry we've been doing this for two years but this is yes right okay cool how was your new year, Matt? Oh my god, uh, it was good. It was good. It was great. It was great. Yeah, um, yeah, it was great. Except for uh, you know politics coming in and out, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> we'll get a, we'll get around that. We'll, I'm we'll sure. We'll talk around that. Yeah. Yeah, but we started off the new year, and I thought it would be great to, to do some of our favorite things from 22 and then i went oh god we watched a fuck ton of shit and we have to get into this we are jumping straight into this and we are fucking getting rid of 22 we don't care anymore yeah the only thing of note last year is everything everywhere all at once you don't need to know anything else that's all that matters we are going into 23 now and we are starting with witcher blood origins wesley what did you think of this very fine series <laughs> i'd go so far <laughs> as to say it was better than very fine I, I thought it was fine as we were going through it, but the more I think on it, the more I liked it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't bad by any means, and I honestly did not. I don't think it it should be treated to the degree that it got ridiculed online. I think it's a lot of people that are just pissed off about Henry Cavill and the writing staff, and that is completely fair. Totally fair. I feel like this should be separated from that, but if the only criticism I have for this series is that it really should have maybe done. Maybe just one more episode. Yeah, four episodes was not quite enough. And you could tell there were... There was a very messy editing process here. Yeah, someone we were talking to recently said how apparently they were trying to cut down on it to make it fit within a four-episode time frame. Which I just kind of like, why? Yeah, it... Like, I think the most standout error is there's just a character who just shows up out of nowhere and the main cast all just sort of are like hey it's you again and we have no idea where he came from but in the final like episode episode and a half he's just suddenly around and important i guess yeah and he's really close to like michelle yo's character and then that becomes an issue because it's just like it just felt very weird yeah, And there were times where it just felt like they were putting dialogue to, like, make sure that the train kept rolling. It's almost as if, like, the DM that's like, alright, we have one hour to finish this one shot, one session. We need to keep going, guys. Yeah, and, you know, in my opinion, the first things that you should cut in this sort of situation is your shared universe foreshadowing to future seasons and series and spinoffs and all that. But, nope, they did make sure to, to give time for all that. Yeah, yeah, and it really didn't need to happen. This could have been just off on its own, just doing nothing. Like just... like that other one, the the animated one. Season yeah. of the Wolf, was it? Yes. I can't remember. Wolf was in it somewhere. Sure it was, because, yeah, you. Me. Anyways. But yes, so overall, I thought it was fine. It Nothing that had... Nothing had had completely made me go head over heels for it. It was some fun character moments, and, you know, Michelle Yeoh is just incredible to watch it every time, everywhere, all at once. Yes. (laughs) I'm glad you agree, by the way, that that was certainly the most important thing to remember from 2022. I was thinking about it all week, and I was like, you know what... It's the one thing that just always stands out, and, yeah. it, and it it's like nothing else should really be of note at yeah, that point. I, I'm fine with that. But I, I do at least want to call out in Blood Origins, I liked the straight romance. I, I liked it until it took the time to actually have a sex scene, and 
in a movie that, or sorry, a TV show that clearly was rushing everything, it felt so odd to slow down this moment. I, I guess that's fair. Yeah. I mean, the sex scene was kind of crucial. It was kind of crucial. It was very important to the origin yes. of the blood. Yeah. The thing we're here for. Yeah. But at the same time, it just felt, all right. You're willing to, like, speed up the process of murdering an entire council or something like that. But let's, you know, make sure that we get that sweet angle and get that ass. Right. But, you know, both of the people involved, really good actors. Yeah. Good chemistry together. Absolutely. I, I didn't hate it. And that's that's incredibly rare for me. I've been wondering myself if I just automatically dislike straight romances because I'm gay and no that they can be done well they can be done well even with like the most stereotypical bland mask for mask <laughs> male in the partnership you've ever seen honestly he deserved to be on a 2000s Xbox 360 cover yeah but you know he he still sold the part really well and the romance yeah honestly I think so but with that, I think we will just speed along here as we go on to the bullet train yeah. to our next destination as we talk about bullet train. Bullet train. <clears throat> I don't know where this movie came from. It, it, it Was it was it ever in theaters? I'm not even sure. It was. Okay. I actually did want to see it in theaters and just it just so happened that, you know, we don't go to movies anymore. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Except for Marvel. Yeah, you know, I kept I kept saying throughout the holiday, like maybe we'll go see Avatar, but now I'm kind of like, let's just watch it when it comes out of theaters. I yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I I am genuinely considering just going on my own and seeing it at some point. How dare you? I mean, you're welcome to come, but I don't think you want to. Uh, it's three hours in an IMAX theater. And yeah. I don't know if it's. Yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> But, yes, this happened in the middle of the night because it was after Hunter and, you know, my best friend decided to just throw it on because, you know, we're just about to pass out. And, oh, God, a two-hour movie. Yeah, that, that was the only thing inhibiting what should have been one of the most enjoyable movies I've seen in a, in a long time, possibly since Everything Everywhere All at Once. And it was a very incredibly enjoyable movie. I, I do not... I cannot begin to describe how well and meticulous every little detail of this movie has been thought out and how it plays on tropes and it it's just very clever. I, I, I yeah. Yeah. It does kind of remind me of Knives Out a little bit. Just not the the plots are not at all the same. But no. it's like a star studded ensemble cast that walks that knife's edge between serious and wacky and yeah just does it really well i'm not sure how much else to say in that regard but they do kind of resonate with me the same way and enjoyed for the same reason yeah no that yeah that does make sense and you know there are characters that literally are in there for about five minutes of screen time if that Yes, which at some point the cameos got to be a little bit too much, to be honest, but at least the story just kept rolling. Yeah, I think it was mostly part of the tropiness and the the humor, if you would. Yeah. So, promise of this, for those that are interested, there's just a lot of crime going down in Japan, and it's all interrelated, and it all sort of comes to a head on this one train ride Across Japan, ending in, ending in Kyoto. I don't remember where they got on and making multiple stops along the way, allowing new gang members to come on, get off, be threatened, be killed. And we follow, I guess the main character is probably Brad Pitt. Yes. Who is cursed with weird luck. We couldn't agree on whether or not it's good or bad. Well, he calls it bad luck. Yeah, he calls it bad luck. I would call it good luck. The movie defines it as sort of like absorbing bad luck from around others. It's weird. But regardless, it, he is our main protagonist as he traverses a simple mission that he has been dealt with and had to uh, execute in place of his partner, Carver. Yeah. And that is all we really know. 
Yeah, that's fair. But who else have we got? Aaron Taylor Johnson does a phenomenal job. He just disappears into whatever role you give him anymore. It's He's unrecognizable. It's so weird. And is it just facial hair differences? It might just be facial hair differences. It's facial hair differences, yes. Yeah. But yeah, just all together, the cast all around, just phenomenal. Phenomenal performances. I, I There are people I've never seen in a movie before that I definitely want to follow, specifically... Uh, she referred to herself as the prince. I loved her character a lot. Yes. Yeah. And I would love to see her in more movies because, man, Asian actresses are just incredible. <laughs> Agreed. And this movie is chock full of some of them. Being set in Japan? Yes. Well, Good. yes. Rightly so. <laughs> Rightly so. Even <laughs> though, you know, there is a decent amount of American actors in it. Yeah, that is also true. But it's one of those things that's. It seems balanced. It uh, seems balanced. I mean, it, it is fairly diverse yeah. in its cast otherwise. It's not just white men. There's POCs from different backgrounds. Yeah, so yeah. other than that, it's a fun ride. Ha. Ha, 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 ha. Yes, do recommend. I kind of need to see it again because I was, yeah, it was like 1.30 a.m. and I was coming in and out Yeah, a little bit. And with that, we are going to move on to your corner, which you are now doing this... Do you consider this an indie? Your indie? Okay, so it is interesting. (laughs) I... Yes, this game is called Tunic. I will call it an indie game, for sure. I cannot remember the developer's name. I apologize, developer. You are massively talented and deserve the credit. What I do remember was that you hired some serious talent to do your music, to do your sound design. You were published by the Saltzman siblings, who I would only remember Adam. Uh, you might remember this from the successful breakout hit on iOS, Cannabalt. Did you ever play that one? I have not. Okay, it was basically the first Infinite Runner. Okay. Yeah, where you're just running along skyscraper buildings, tops, as the city crumbles behind you and you have to jump off of one roof and onto the next as the city falls apart. That couple went on to just start a publishing house built off the success of this one game because it was that successful. And they don't do a lot of high-profile projects, so it's interesting that they latch their name onto this or vice versa. But anyways... Yeah, Tunic. So I would call it indie, but when you watch the credits, it's like him and a team of 100 people that supported him, including Sony. So, interesting. But yeah, that's probably as close to indie as you can get, and I absolutely do want to applaud his success. It's a a massive game to have built by himself. What is the fucking game? I should get to that. So, it's a Souls-like. It is a Souls-like game... That takes the combat of Legend of Zelda, take your pick, Ocarina of Time or Wind Waker, whatever, and puts it into the Dark Souls survive to the next campfire gameplay. Every enemy that you come across is potentially lethal, so don't let your guard down for even a split second. You're going to spend this entire game learning attack patterns, and it's punctuated by really fucking hard boss fights. That took me anywhere between one and two and a half hours for each one to down, and of which there are six. So that's about where my playtime went with this, but I did did end up finishing it last night. To say any more is to, I guess, spoil Tunic. I find what we're about to talk about far more depressing, honestly. Well, I decided to go on a tale of my own and begin to watch a show that has been on the list for a very long time, but I decided not to actually watch it until, you know, a political environment had improved a little bit. But since that was never coming, I decided to begin watching The Handmaid's Tale. And about somewhere halfway through that, Wesley also decided to join in after, you know, the more problematic parts of watching this and seeing the terribleness of this universe. Yeah, we... Not as often. Yeah, we skipped the the day-to-day life in Gilead sections, or I skipped them, at least. Oh, you did. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
I really like this show. Oh, it's so fucking good. It it's amazing. <laughs> I I really I don't know what to say. Uh, so for those that do not know, The Handmaid's Tale is the story of June Osborne. Hey, that's my last name, and she is captured as she is trying to escape Gilead, aka what used to be America but is now a religious state, and is forced into this program that is known as the handmaids where they are assigned to various men in the government to reproduce because there is a disease that had made most of in most of humans incapable of breeding at least it seems a, a bit of like a genophage kind of situation from mass effect so this is the story about june's escape from the handmade position in the house and the various terrible atrocities that Gilead has been putting onto their citizens and various people. And it's buck fucking wild <laughs> to yeah, say the least, to say the least. She is underneath the, the, as I'm trying to remember the name Waterford. of the, that's the Waterford household. Uh, with Fred Waterford and his wife, Serena Waterford, who is the best character in this fucking television show. Yes. And I can gladly say that now that I am caught up. Yeah, in a series of great characters, she is uh, a standout. 100%. Later on, she gets eventually moved around into other households, which she eventually gets underneath the tutorship of... Commander Lawrence, who is also one of the best characters in this show. This show is a lot of incredible characters. Mm -hmm. And we found out, at least you have discovered, that Lawrence is actually someone of an actor that we've mentioned on this show before. Oh, I guess. I, I'm not sure. Like, it was a pretty quick cameo in Adventures in Babysitting, all things considered. I guess he was the catalyst for the main plot. But, but we still... We yeah. still watched that movie and talked about that movie. You know, Adventures in Babysitting, it's kind of amazing how many careers it launched. It's a bit. It's a bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Anyways, Serena Waterford, the best character in this television show, is played by the, what I consider my beard in high school, <laughs> Ivan Stravosky, a.k.a. Miranda from the Mass Effect franchise. Yep. And... As if I couldn't have fallen in love with her again from Mass Effect, I have truly fallen in love with the actress all over again. I, I just love that she's playing this perfect, chaste Christian wife in this, whereas she was the genetically engineered space bimbo in, in <laughs> Mass Effect. Even my body is perfect, Shepard. It's so hard being perfect. <laughs> My DNA was designed to make me show my ass off at cameras. Oh, God. <sighs> Sometimes I think it's problematic, but then I just go, you know, she's just here to make all the gays pretend like they're straight. Sure. Yeah, that that's it. That's, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, this show, without going into it, because this is, we're, we're way late on the bandwagon here because the 50s season just came out. We have caught up completely and are happy to say that it is setting up for a pretty decent final season and God, it needs a final season because we are running out of, we're running out of space here. Uh, I guess, but we know that there's like a spinoff coming and it's very clear from where things are in the world that the Gilead problem is not going to get resolved. Certainly not in Handmaid's Tale because I think that's just it. It is the Handmaid's Tale. Yes. Yeah, it is the story of this one character. Which I I would like to see what happens with this character's story at the end of it and I'm knowing her character arc, it has to do something with the fall of Gilead in a certain degree. Whether that be on the world stage or something, I don't know. <laughs> Are you talking? You're talking about June. June's story, yes. Okay. Which June's story has mostly been her trying to find her daughter, who was also kidnapped by Gilead and reassigned to another family in the system. See, I feel like that's going to be the main thrust of the final season. Sure, but it's it's Serena's story that's really about Gilead, considering she was a big force towards starting it. That's also true too. So, 
yeah, maybe we'll get some closure there. But it's all like I keep coming back to this is this is sort of like a zombie apocalypse movie. There's there is no happy ending. Unless you just come in and say, oh, we solved the reproductive issues, so here's your cure. Well, that's the thing. Gilead is sure that they have the solution to the reproductive systems. They just have a fucking fucked up system. Oh, yeah, they have, you know, forced births. If those aren't, if those become unnecessary, then there might be some grounds for resistance at least yeah but you know we have characters like lawrence who is trying to work on the inside and change things it's why his character is just so fucking great he is just a force that is clearly flaming the evil but he is doing it while also trying to just push the needle just the bit to the left yeah yeah yeah, I, I love a villain where you can be like, yeah, I see where you're coming from, man, but not like this. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here like, I see where you're coming from. I, that's I, that's how you do it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, with that, I am very excited for the, the final season of Handmaid's Tale, whenever mm-hmm. that is. Because now I am... We are caught up, and I hate myself because now it, we're at the point where it's like, oh, I can't just throw on the next episode? Great. Yeah. And with that, we will move on to our next big old adventure, Paranormal Park, Season 2. Is it is that the actual title? Or it's is dead, it, dead End dead Paranormal end Park. Paranormal Park, yes. Okay. And to a series that we watched... I mean, I feel like we watched Out of Obligation because we really just need to support these kind of shows. Yes. Really surprised us at the end. Yeah, this this dropped some big bombs. And, yeah, it really... It paid off a lot of things that it was just setting up and turned out to be a lot more clever than we thought. I think it's kind of positioning itself to be one of those, like, man, this is a kid's show, that's very good. Yeah. I, I don't think it's quite as brilliant as, say, Steven Universe. Uh, Certainly not yet. Yeah, it's fairly competent in juggling in character growth with Monster of the Week stuff, but not not as good as Gravity Falls in that regard. It's still really solid. Like, they shot for the moon and did a good job of it. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, it feels like they're trying to be Gravity Falls, but also trying to be its own thing, and I don't know if that's... I don't know if it's that that's their intent, of course, but it just, for me, it feels like that's, let's do a Gravity Falls, but it's very queer, and it's very queer. Yes, incredibly queer. I, I'm not sure there is a straight character in the show, apart from, like, the parents, I guess. Yeah, that sounds about right, honestly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, man, it's just, this is just another example, just one of those things that we really need for a younger generation to kind of be able to explore themselves and their identity and their sexuality and just kind of just prove to people that it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great. If you, if you want to give it a shot, uh, you're, you definitely should. Um, of course it has the most wonderful Alex Brightman, which Oh god, I love him so much. He's he's a treasure and definitely the the bright spot among the voice cast, I would say. Yeah, I can't exactly remember any other big voice cast that was in this show and certainly with Alex Brightman. Like the voice cast isn't bad so to speak, it's no. just no one notable yeah. that I remember, but everyone's doing a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have Miss Coco as Oh, uh, Coco Peru. Coco as, Peru. Uh, I had the name and now I forgot it. <laughs> Isn't it something with Desire, Desiree, no? No. Um, it's uh, Pauline. Pauline, Pauline Phoenix. Phoenix. Yep. Yeah, and she plays basically a drag queen that owns a theme park. I feel like they confirmed, no, cis woman. Oh, I guess that is true, yes. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure that they ever said otherwise. We just know that it's a drag queen playing her, so we just yeah, sort I guess of assumed. Just, okay, yes. <laughs> We guess we assumed that drag queens can own property, which... <laughs> well, I guess we tried to watch Trixie Mattel, Motel recently, and oh, right. <laughs> that is at least a drag queen owning property, and then I felt really sticky watching it, because I was like, oh god, this yeah. this feels so fake. Yeah, yeah, drag queens have yet to really escape reality TV, and I'm not sure they can. I, 
I feel like they just need to just do a television show. Oh, sure. Like, yeah, like, if they had done... You, you were right. If they would just done a drama. Yeah, like, I don't know. I was... Side tangent. We tried to watch Trixie Motel, and then I just... I was like, why are we watching this? Yeah, Trixie Motel being an HBO Max, HBO yeah. series about the drag queen YouTube personality, Trixie Mattel, buying and fixing up a hotel. And, and it just it, yeah. felt so fake, because it's like, oh no, we're over budget. Oh no, the place is a wreck. Oh no, we can't do it in time for Pride. And it's... If people like reality TV, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I have yet to find reality TV I would like. Maybe Great British Bake Off would be the only one from what I've heard of it, but that's not this. No, 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 no. But with that, I think it would be good to move on to our Broadway portion of the show. Oh boy, we're getting back close to the politics again. Yes, we are. So let's kick this off just right. (laughs) We went to New York for the day before New Year's. Holy shit, fuck Times Square. Yeah. Uh, oh, God. Like, we knew New Year's Eve would be a madhouse. Did not count on the day before, and frankly, I should have. Yeah. Honestly, it probably was dumb of us to not. But yes. we decided to go to New York to bring my mother-in-law, Wes's mother, to go see Book of Mormon and Beetlejuice. The musical, the musical, the musical. Again, before it closed. Yes. And, you know, it was a great time. It, The shows were fantastic. The shows were fantastic. The sushi was delectable. The sushi at the restaurant we went at to was delectable and great. Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> we're not going to talk about when your mom decided to get a little bit to drink and, and then... went on a couple of transphobic rants. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways, yes, on this very gay by looky podcast, remember that there are still problematic people out there, and you always have to make sure that when they say weird shit like, well, they can't be sexualizing children by having drag queens read to them, and I look <sighs> at them and go, I'm sorry, is there something wrong with that? Oh, mom. Oh, mother-in-law. And I'm not going to go into any more details, because it does get worse for it gets, it gets so much worse, but anyways. <laughs> but yeah, anyways. Let's, let's focus on the shows. Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon. Uh, we are a decade behind the, the party to this one. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it was fun. I personally think it's a, a product of its time. Yeah, I'm sure it was more irreverent before gay marriage passed, for example. Yeah, it just... It felt... It felt like just watching an episode of South Park, which I wonder why. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We have, I believe it, it was Trey Parker himself narrating the opening. Yep. And, and you know, on recording, of yeah, course. Yeah, on a recording. And, you know, that's fine. That's fine. It's just... <laughs> South Park's funny. South Park is funny. This it's, was funny at times. Yeah, it's not as funny as I found South Park when I was 13. Sure, if I watched this as I was a young adolescent that was secretly in love with Broadway, I too would have probably thought this was hilarious and the best musical ever. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, it's a story about a young Mormon who is teamed up with his companion? Sure. That's what they call them. And they are sent off to Florida. No, they are sent off to Africa. Yes. (laughs) And it's it's this beatdown, I don't know what they call these, like... Hovel? Hovel. Hovel like, locations where the they convene and like uh, all the Mormons go out and oh. not do gay things together in the the home. Right, their their little their mission. Yeah, the yes. mission. Yes, yes, that's what they call I thought, them. I thought you were talking about the town they go to. No, 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 no. Yes, right. Uh, but the town is very much a hovel. <laughs> yeah. So yes, they get sent to Uganda to try and save souls, and the whole show is a. Scathing dissection of Mormon culture and beliefs, exposing it for the fan fiction that it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. And songs were okay. Songs were okay. Um, there was one song about Salt Lake City, and that was about the only one of note that I still remember to this day. See, I don't know. That one... I I can I remember how she pronounced Salt Lake City. I don't remember the tune so much. Yeah. Yeah. 
or the I believe. I believe was good. I liked that one. The the opening song, the hello. Yeah, I guess that's doorbells. also true. Yeah, it, it was all okay. Yeah, was, yeah. But yes, with that, then we did proceed to Beetlejuice after dinner, and in line discovered that Alex Brightman had a concussion. Five days earlier. Yeah, yeah, and was unfortunately unable to perform that night. Yeah, and to my just terrible realization that I was not going to see him one last time before the show closed, which was two nights ago as of recording, it was just very sad. Yep, it was, but the understudy was good. He was good. It did make you realize that this role is very hard to fill. Yes. Especially when you don't know how to do the voice, and you don't do the gravels all the time, and then you can't sing like that. Yeah. It's a little bit difficult. Yep. And this understudy was clearly someone that was like, I'm going to hit the gravels at the end of the songs, but like I gotta hit those highs and whatnot. And clearly, I was definitely not going to be called on to be a actual stand-in for Alex Bryman, because... Why the hell would this man never... Oh, wait. Okay. He got a concussion. I see. Okay. I definitely need to get on. I don't think I followed that. Sorry. Basically, <laughs> what I'm saying is someone like Alex Brightman, who loves this show, yeah. breathes this show, promotes this show, will do anything for this show, including saying how he wanted to do it like during, like prematurely before the concussion, but the doctor would not let him. Oh. Um, you wouldn't have someone that's an understudy expect to get a whole lot of screen time. Yeah, I guess that's true. But you gotta have them just in case. Yep. But yes, Beetlejuice Musical is incredible as always. Yeah. It is going on tour soon. If it's coming to a city near you, definitely check it out. If definitely check possible. it out. If possible. And with that, we're gonna go to our tabletop update because, oh my god, there's so much going on. Yeah, this is the first time we have all three of our systems in one two-week period. We do, yes, because we did what I will go over with, Hunter the Reckoning, which we kept pecked up where our cell had kidnapped some missing kids. Two, three, I kind of lost count. There was two, two missing kids. But, okay, so the third one, there were three total, though, right? Including your son. Including my son, who I, I, you know, we dragged back to our car and took to a hideout. So that's pretty much kidnapping. Sure. There were two other kids there that ran. Two, two on top of that as well, yes. Yeah, there were a total of five kids at that ceremony. Yes. But you kidnapped two of them. Yeah. And took your son with you. Correct. Back to the estate, the Avalon estate, and we're interrogating the one that was running the ritual and investigating the one that was being offered, we'll say. Yeah. Who was unconscious at this point still. And you got a lot of lore dumps about the universe, basically, or some of the big, bigger things that are going into play. I'm going to try and not talk as much because I might just let something slip on accident. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, and you're not allowed to know that shit. Yeah. Um, but anyways, high brow summary. You guys start to investigate. Oh, no. Uh, one of Saber's business partners comes to town and the police are with him. Oh no, better not find the missing kids in the house. Oh, he sends them away. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and on top of that, you might have gotten a little bit of a glimpse at one of your other queries that you have to track down and take care of with the demon, Mara. Oh, yes, Mara. Uh, the one of demon. One of our queries. Interesting. I mean, well, you we've already known about the werewolf, yeah. who's not really a quarry, in my opinion. It was sort of like we we butted heads for a minute and then went our separate ways. I have no reason to to want to hunt that that poor thing down. Uh-huh. Anyways, do you want to talk more about it? Because then I don't want to say anything that's going to fucking do anything to make you think that I'm doing anything. That's fine. Yeah, so this campaign does seem to be leaning very, very heavily into demon as a system. 
Which is interesting because neither of us know shit about World of Darkness demonology, but that plays fairly heavily from just basic Christian mythology. I was going to say, um, you know what I've been researching, but continue. Sure. I mean, I would know if you'd, like, downloaded the demon PDF, for example. Oh. I mean, I don't need to download the demon PDF. Yes, exactly. Like, you have not read the the rules on that. I'm sure you've scoured the wiki for as much information as you can find on it, which is, you know, pretty much just like, I don't know, reading Dante's Inferno, for example. It pulls from a lot of the same sources there. And, yeah, uh, demonology is not really my bag as a player. Uh, it's, I don't know. I, maybe this will be the thing that gets me into it finally, but like I've never cared for Diablo, the games, any of that kind of Christian lore stuff. It just, I don't know, doesn't really resonate with me. So I'm just sort of making my character here be about like being a good dad and protecting his kids. Uh, you know, he's not going to be like some of our other players who are all about this stuff, who are going to immediately dive in and try and start making connections. Uh, which I think makes for really good role play and diversity within our cell. Well, exactly, because you know the one player that is a big role player, I'm probably I will lean into you, but maybe I'm going to focus a lot of the attention on some of the interests of the people that are new to this stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, tailor it around the new people, and. I'm just having fun. Like I, at this point I've made and played in enough of these campaigns that I don't need to feel like a big damn hero. I don't need to feel like I need to win the campaign. I'm just interested in playing my character and having it be interesting. And that's all it is at the end of the day. Yeah. And when we talk about vampire in a little bit here, I will talk about how it only matters to make sure that everyone is smiling at the end of the day. (laughs) Yes. Which, in in the case of Vampire, I think the only one who was not smiling might have been you, but... Oh, I was smiling. You were smiling, yeah. Yes, I was definitely smiling. It's... yeah. Anyways, you had a werewolf... a werewolf game. I did. And it was an abbreviated session because I gave the wrong start time. But we still got through a fair bit of basically set up to the next big plot point. My players dumped on me the day of that they were planning to split the party and accomplish two tasks in vastly different directions. So it was kind of a lot of reorganizing, reshuffling, moving around locations, that kind of thing to make sure everything still made sense. But it all worked. Uh, did mean everyone, nobody got too much screen time, nothing advanced too much. But uh, goal here is for my section session next Monday, it will just be the big payoffs to both scenes. So we have our Geta Fenris and Black Fury, Hazel and Merrick going off into the woods to try and retrieve their, the rest of their sept after the sept leader has returned from some bullshit he was taking care of in Matt's campaign. Hmm. Hmm. Only to find a big werewolf massacre as this battle that the Sept was going off to fight had had apparently already played out. But now there's some drama with their Sept's interim leader, having had her son murdered, is actually blaming a newcomer to the scene that the players will discover next week is closer associated to them than they realize. And, uh, maybe campaign wrap-up spoilers, but I don't care. One of my players gave me a much better idea for the identity of this this person than I had come up with on my own. So I'm just kind of like, yep, cross that name out and just write in this other idea. Cool, cool. Glad I didn't commit to that last session. Well, that's the thing about TTRPGs. Sometimes the players think about better things than you do, and then you just take it and use it for your own. That's how it works. Exactly. And I'm not actually using the idea they gave me, but they did give me an idea. Yes. So, uh, yeah. We'll we'll see how all of that, like, werewolf politics plays out next session. Dunno. Uh, but then we have the other half of our pack went into the city to basically just run errands 
scope out the location of a meeting that's coming up, do little odds and ends here and there, which I've used as an opportunity to try and hook one of my newer players into uh, a backstory that they don't really have. We'll see how things go. Um, Werewolf's a very rich, deep, complicated setting with a lot of expectations for players coming into it. It's not a great system in that regard. It's very just complex. You have to be willing to step into a war as a warrior and hit the ground running with the constraints of that battle. So just trying to drop, you know, a friend that you want to play a game with into it it's tricky, and in the case of this player, I sort of wrote a little bit of a generic backstory. He has amnesia. Cool. Easy enough to get going with from that. But now that I'm trying to fill this in, it's kind of like, alright, does he really have anything he can he can grab onto uh, with this character? Uh, so we'll see how it goes for another couple sessions. I'm going to do a one-on-one -on -one that I set up with him and, and, and hopefully flesh out that story a bit more and maybe check in and be like, are you actually having fun with this? Do you want to keep going? Do you want to make a new character? How do you want to do this? I was about to say, that's probably the next big thing that you need to do is just pull them aside and go, uh, so, real talk. Let's talk. Yeah, which I'll need to do that probably there's Sunday or Monday before the actual game. So, yeah. But it's teed up, just need to schedule it. Exactly. So, that's where Werewolf is. And last but certainly not least is Vampire for the Harbingers of the Eclipse, a.k.a. Fall of London. Which was last night, and I'm still fucking vibrating. And it was basically the big fight. This was the showdown between the Harbingers and uh, Mithras. When they arrived at the Mithraeum with Roger de Camden a.k.a. Mithras' boyfriend, a.k.a. the Pater Thomas of the cult. They walked into the main chamber and discovered that there is a ritual set up for his ritual of soul transference, but maybe something else as well. They don't know. But they watched as Darius went to go bring back Mithras, who doesn't look exactly like they used to remember because there was a Diablery attempt by a Sabbat member named Monty Coven, who is of World of Darkness vampire lore fame and they are basically trying to attempt to bring back the other parts of his soul to make him bring back his full strength and make him return to his normal self and that is when my wonderful fucking Kane, the Venture decided to ask Mithras to Allow us to be in your presence while this ritual starts to basically get him off the throne because they knew that the banner that was above it was going to be used in some kind of part of another ritual because of a premonition. And then Jess decided to lightning strike him and try to put him in the torpor, but thank God I fucking remembered he had fortitude and was able to shatter the... Uh, attempt to torpor him and neuter my fucking boss. Yep. Instead, I allowed them to have a full round of just getting the, the drop on him. But then the fight breaks out, and then Roger decided to split the shroud and open the Shadowlands right there in the middle of London. And with that, he was going to, quote, break the world for the, the one that he loves most, and try... I won't say what he's going to do in case some of my players were listening now because there were things that were planned in case they decided to deceive them and fuck up the ritual, but we'll talk about it in the campaign wrap-up. And the fight ensued, which also included lots of forcing people to gouge their eyes out and... Not the players. Not the players. Uh, players being flung across the room and into Torpor, uh, undead coming up from the ground, and... Again, the players that I least expected to be the most critical being that of Cain, who used majesty on Mithras to get him to bow before him. And in a moment that I sent Wesley the score of the success rate against the majesty, I waited as the player told me how many successes he got, 
and then I had Wes read off his, and it was, it was a defeat in Mithras's side. It was a solid defeat. It, it was, was a really high roll on both sides, uh-huh. but decisively beaten. Also, on top of that, the new player, uh, who is Oliver, um, new to TTRPG altogether, was able to like use his Hikata abilities to completely wither the portions of his soul that was in that body. Which is why he got thrown across and ragdolled across the fucking map, because he was not happy with that. Yeah. But when Cain told Mithras to bow all the way onto the ground, which meant literally face-eating the dirt, that was when Jess, as Tony, decided to decapitate Mithras. And at that point, the fight was done, and... Cain then declared Praxis on a city that is falling. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, you know. Sure. We're going to find out what happens with these people, and we're going to do a series of one-on-ones where they wrap up their stories for this portion of their their lives, if you would. Did, did you mention DeCamden getting yeeted into hell? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. Um, DeCamden gets yeeted into hell by... Kane. Kane. Kane, yes. Kane was the MVP, and I did not expect this, because it's incredible. This player literally told me, I would say, like, maybe two sessions before the final chapter started, like, I don't expect Kane to get out of this. And honestly, like, he's not, like, he wasn't really vibing with Kane this whole time, and was talking about, like, when the, this story ends, he wants to make a new character. And now. He has completely turned into, like, this pivotal character and has blown me away with his roleplay. It's just... All of them are shining. Everyone was shining. They all had their moments. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. So, yeah. DeCamden was yeeted into the Shadowlands, which I'm sure that won't be a problem. (laughs) And Mithras is gone. Gone. Gone for good. Dash, dusted, dashed, ashton. Yes. So we will close out our story with a couple of one-on-ones. I will then write a epilogue, and then we'll have a campaign wrap-up, and then I'll ask them what they would like to do from there based off of the one-on-ones and whatnot. Yeah. So, with that, we're going to have a very quick news segment because, honestly, I did not feel like talking much about the news because we had so much to cover, and there's only one real thing to cover recently. That being of which our friends Wizards of the Coast has leaked out their OGL for D&D 1, and it is a doozy. So, have we seen two different versions of this at this point, or has there just been one leak? There has been one leak, and there has been a promise by... Wizards of the Coast, what it's going to be. Okay. The original promise was basically that it's not going to affect a lot of people. It's going to affect about maybe these 20 companies. And basically what it amounted to was if you're making over $750,000 with gross income, then you will play pay royalties to Wizards of the Coast to use D&D content yeah. as third-party D&D content. The leak came out, and not only did they lie about that, it is now not uh, gross income, it is net income, so that's including all of the expense, uh, like, not even your actual profits, but everything else. Yeah. So now that affects more than just those 20 companies, they also have the ability to terminate the OGL for any reason... They just have to give a 30-day notice. And on top of that, they can then publish your in, your creations of, on their own publishing networks. So they can basically say, we're not you're not allowed to use our stuff anymore, and then they can take whatever you have made and put in their own shit. And on top of that, they are invalidating all the OGLs for D&D 3rd Edition and D&D 5th Edition, which they also were saying wouldn't be touched. 
the the net extends a little bit further than that. I'm pretty sure it's like Pathfinder's also under it, and a couple other smaller things. I don't think Pathfinder's under it because I I think that that was something that they were people were saying. Well, it's weird they're not going after Pathfinder, but Pathfinder is just so. It's very much D and D three, but it's like has its own tweaks to it and has its own empire that they don't want to fuck with it. Okay, yeah. So yeah, this is a uh, this is a fucking problem. Yes, yeah. So I immediate this this screws over anybody. Like Griffin's saddlebag is probably the one that I care about the most. Like I've actually gone in on some of their Kickstarter yeah. projects, and yeah, they published some some beautiful custom items with their gorgeous art complementing it, and all of it designed and balanced around five E. They could just you know basically be forced to stop because this agreement is so insane that nobody in their right mind would ever sign up for it when wizards are just allowed to change the terms of it anytime they want, you know, thirty days notice, whatever. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's just... It seems like it's going to be implemented on the 13th, if I remember correctly, which is later this week. Yeah. There has been note in the leak that says there is going to be a public backlash, and they will respond and re- revise it accordingly, which <laughs> is just so fucking weird. Because that's that's how you control the narrative, is... Yes, of course, all of the stories are going to be about how bad you are for... A week. And then the only way to run a new story is to say, oh, but they've improved this thing. It's getting better. And that's how you control this sort of narrative. It's it's just a fucking shit show. Yeah. I I personally, as someone that doesn't doesn't play as much D, I certainly don't feel threatened as much. But I do see it's it's kinda like they're encroaching on our territory in such a bad faith way, it just kind of reeks. Yeah, this is the problem with D&D's ubiquity, and I've always been opposed to it to some degree or not, or, or another. If you want to play a TR- TRPG, you basically just have to play D&D anymore unless you learn and run your own system. Like, if your friends are playing something, it's almost certainly D&D. And it's been that way since forever. And I've always hated that. Like, uh, and this is this is the end game of that, is when the mainstream acceptance hits the point where fucking ESPN is doing shows. Yeah, they don't have anything to lose. They're too big to fail. They can start screwing over their base. So now is the time to learn a new system. Doesn't have to be World of Darkness, but World of Darkness sure, World, World of Darkness is right there. They have an OGL that is very friendly, and they they have an entire website that's dedicated for fans to make money off of making content for their system. It's great. Hell, if you want to make a video game, they will let you license their stuff for a pretty competitive arrangement, given, you know, how D&D and similar work. Yeah, so... It sucks. Um, it, the only silver lining here, at least as someone that doesn't play a whole lot of D&D, is that at least it's giving people some line of sight to see that there is some light elsewhere outside of D&D. Yeah. It's, if anything, it's going to cause D&D to flounder a little bit and other ones to come out of the woodwork. Yeah. I, if anything, I'm mostly worried for things like Critical Role and Dimension, Dimension 20. <sighs> Uh, we have yet to hear anything out of the Critical Role cast, and that I'm is somewhat why I'm, skeptical we ever will. That is why I am worried. Yeah. Uh, we haven't even heard anything from things like Cobalt Press, which I have been keeping an eye on, and I have not seen anything. They will have to have a take, but I can see where they would want to wait for Wizards to actually release something first. Yeah, apparently it's been sent out to these companies already, so it's... No doubt. It's, it's one of those things that I just, I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. And with that, we are at the end of our show, and at the beginning of New Year, as we are entering Year 3, ending Year 2. It's been two years. I get it. I'm bad at time. (laughs) Anyways, my name is Matt. And I'm Wes. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we love you very much. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Bye. Bye.